week eight of iHeart Summer. We've been talking about the matters of the heart. So for the last several weeks, we've covered all sorts of topics from having a bitter heart. Uh, we've been talking about um, having a testimony in our heart. And how many know God's hand has really moved uh, through a young girl in our church? Uh, he showed his his way of healing to her, and, and we're grateful for that. We've been talking about that the last couple of weeks. But um, we've been diving in. We've been looking at, like, what does it look like? David said, I set my heart on an incline toward you, God. And um, so it's been a, a fun series. If you missed any of them, I encourage you to go back. But today I want to talk about a perplexed heart. Now, that's not a word we probably use all the time. Like, hey, what's going on? How are you doing? I'm really perplexed over here right now. We probably don't use that. But it would be somebody who's, who's like confused or wondering. Uh, one Bible word uh, that's also used in Scripture when you search perplexed is another one is bewildered. Bewildered. I'm sort of confused. I'm wondering. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm perplexed. I'm, 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 I'm just not running right might be a way to say it. But a perplexed heart, a perplexed heart. I'm wondering. And I think living in the hour that we live in, the time that we're in these days, I think it's pretty easy for us to, whether you turn on the news or open your social media or maybe even have a conversation with someone on the street, you might walk away being like, boy, I'm really perplexed about the hour that we're living in. I'm really kind of wondering about some things that are going on. And so I love that the scripture gives us truths. It gives us these uh, these insights, these guidelines, these encouragements. And so that's what we're going to do. Some of our base scripture that we've been using for this series, one is Proverbs chapter 27, verse 19. It says this, it says, as the water reflects the fla- our face, as we look into the water and can see the reflection of our face, it says, so one's life reflects their heart. Basically, what we see in our life is an overflow or an abundance or a reflection of what's in our heart. You got some drama in your life, there's probably some drama going on in your heart. You got some bitterness, some unforgiveness, you got some of that stuff in your heart, you're probably going to see that in your life because out of the abundance of the heart, a lot happens in our life. And so that's one verse we looked at. Another one is Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. It says, above all else, what's interesting about this proverb is it's the proverb of wisdom. So all throughout the scripture, it's, it's giving you wisdom and insights and, hey, think about this, think about that. But then it says, above all else... Guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Now, this word guard here is to disallow or to be on defense. If you're in sports and you're somebody who's who's on defense or disallowing, you're, you're saying, hey, I'm preventing something from getting to over here to the goal or to the basket. I'm, I'm disallowing. It might be like a soldier or a guard saying, hey, I'm disallowing the enemy access to this thing that I'm protecting. Well, the scripture is saying that's how we got to be with our hearts. You can't just let everything that you hear and see and thought get into your heart. How many are with me today? Say, you got to be careful. You got to watch what's getting into your heart because if it gets into your heart, it's going to get into your life and it can mess some things up. So we got to be careful. We got to be cautious. We got to be protective of our heart. And so I'm going to just kind of, this is a little bit different sermon style for me. Normally I kind of bring up a thought or an idea or a a happening. And then I I try to give you some practical ways of, of how to help and how to navigate that. But Paul, oftentimes in his writings or other people, as they wrote, they would write to the different churches and they would say, hey, watch out for this. Be on guard. Pay attention. This is a warning. Pay attention to this. And then sometimes as I'm reading them, I'm like, "Okay, that's the warning. Now, now give me my seven steps of help to get out of this. And And many times the writer's like, so remain in Christ. God has overcome. He's with you. And you're like, but I need seven steps. (laughs) Now, thank God we have the Holy Spirit to give us discernment. Right. 
And so my sermon's going to be a lot like this. I'm going to, I'm going to throw a warning out today. I'm going, to, I'm going to write to the church, if you will, from the pulpit and say, hey, guys, we got to watch out for this. we got to be aware of the time that we're living. we got to be cautious of the lifestyles that are being presented to us. Because if we fall to the ways of the world, we're going to miss what God has for us. Amen. Uh, the scripture tells us this, uh, that it's important. It's so important for us to understand the times that we're living. You can't say, well, I'm, I'm a Christian, I got the Bible, and the B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me, it's all I need. No, there's also an awareness that we have to live in. This isn't an end-time sermon, I'm not going to get into doom or gloom, but I'm going to say it's important if you're a Christ follower, you put your faith, hope, and trust in God, you need to be a person who's saying, okay, God, how are you working right now? We see in Scripture that the sons of Issachar, the Scripture said about them, is uh, they, were, they were praised or they were encouraged because they were people who, Scripture said, knew how to discern the times they were living in. Jesus, we see in Matthew, rebuked some people that was in uh, his area, in, in his influence. Uh, he rebuked them. He said, look, you can tell the weather, you can tell the sun, you can tell the wind, you can tell what's going to happen with the weather, but you can't tell what's happening in these times. So we saw a rebuke from Jesus about people not paying attention to the time or the hour or the strategy of the time that they're in. Paul encourages in Romans to people, he says, hey, it's important for you to know the times. And then he says this, and walk properly in them. Yeah. It's one thing to say, oh boy, this world is going crazy. This stuff's all messed up. But it's one thing to just know it. It's a whole nother thing to say, okay, now how do I need to walk in this? Yeah. So I'm going to give you some things that I see that's happening in this hour that's trying to cause Christians and believers to be perplexed and confused and exhausted. And, and then it's going to be important for us to discern that and then walk properly in it. Can I get an amen today? So Daniel is describing, Daniel chapter 7, Daniel is describing these last days. He gives us a picture of one of the ways, one of the almost attempts or even lifestyles that are going to try to come in, one of the patterns that the enemy is going to move in uh, when it comes to these last days. Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, it says, And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws. How many of you have said to somebody recently, that times are changing. We know the times are changing, that we're living in. Times are changing, and they're changing very rapidly. He's saying one of the end-timed attempts is to wear out the saints through changing time, rapid time change. Things are changing quickly on us. And then also through law change, all sorts of law change. We know times have changed. Uh, my kids, they don't know what it's like to have to consider the cost of a long distance phone call. Remember back in the day, hey, I want to call somebody. You're like, well, where do they live? You tell them, well, that's going to be long distance. <laughs> so then you had to add up, how long do I want to spend on this? Because, you know, if your parents were good parents, they made you pay, pay you back for a long distance phone call. I got some nods in here like, yeah. If you were just letting your kids make long distance phone calls all day, you were a bad parent. You were spoiling them. They need to earn. But my kids now, they, they, they can talk to anybody they want anywhere. They just pick up their phone. Not only is it, a phone call anytime they want for free. It can be a FaceTime. See, our kids don't know anything either about VHS tapes. Back in the day, you had to put a tape in a thing, put a 50-pound brick on your, and record something, then take it out of there and go put it back into another thing to watch it. Now they're just recording on iPads and phones and FaceTime and videos all in since time's changing. Amen. Uh, I also thought about pictures. You know, now, now you take a picture with somebody. Hey, go over there and take your picture. All right, smile. And then as soon as you, okay, I got it. What's the first thing you say after that? I want to look at it. Let me see it. Oh, God, take it again. God, take it again. The wind was blowing my hair. That's what I say. 
Remember back in the day, you took a picture? Like, Shh. all right, bring it to the grocery store. Two weeks later, you hope it turned out. <laughs> Times are changing. Things are, are moving fast, and some of it's good. But I believe in the hour that we're living in, times are going fast, and there is urgency. Uh, pastor Corey Russell, the pastor of Upper Room Church, he gave this great statement when it came to if we're living in the last days and in the last hours. He said, you know, in the last two minutes of a sports game, things move very quickly and very urgently because you're at the end. Everything is precise and everything has to matter and everything is very calculated. The beginning of the game, you're just trying some stuff out. You're kind of feeling things out. You're kind of seeing where things are. But when you get to the end, there's urgency and there's, there's priority and there's emphasis on detail. We got to make sure we get it. And I believe that's the hour that Christians are living in. We're in the two minutes, you guys, and it's important for us to understand that, that everything matters. Can I get an amen today? They say there's a futurist who says that we will see 300 years worth of change in the next 20 years. The equivalent of change in our, in our history and in our past, the amount of time and the process of things changing and evolving, we're going so fast and so rapid, as Daniel was even saying uh, in this scripture, that things are moving so fast and so quick that we're going to see 300 years of change in the next 20 years through technology. We see just in laws, as Daniel was alluding to, we see in laws. Look at how many major laws have changed here in these, this hour that we live in. We know Roe v. Wade just got overturned, which, as a matter of fact, next week I'm going to preach on that. The last sermon of this series, uh, we're going to talk about the overturning and what that looks like and what Scripture might say. And then also how a Christian is called to walk through that and through that season. And so uh, we see that's a major one. We see that there's going to be major gun reform, and there already is major gun reform. Uh, this goes all the way back to our, our, our amendments, right? This goes all the way back, and we're seeing law change. We see that in marriage. We've seen major changes in law when it comes to marriage and gender law. There's been major time change, pace, as Daniel said, and then there's also major law change in this hour that we're in. And what I'm trying to say is if we're not careful as people, the way that we're viewing and walking with God, if, if, if all of this is going fast and changing quickly and being sudden, it would be really easy for us to get overwhelmed and perplexed and confused. I believe an attack of the enemy is to try to get you confused and tired. The scripture says in Daniel, he's going to try to like what? Exhaust, wear out the saints. Yeah. He's going to try to wear them out with all of this. And so it's important. I'll say one thing about laws. You know, law change is important. It's good that we have laws and we have structures and we have things like that. Laws are important. Uh, but, you know, laws don't change people's hearts. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's against the law to drink and drive. People still do. It's against the law to murder, and people sadly still do. It's against the law to steal, and you all share your Netflix password with people. So we still have heart issues that need to get fixed. We, we, we have heart issues. And so that's the prayer. Is in these days, as things are changing, yes, things are changing quick and laws are changing. We need to be praying for a time in these last days where people's hearts are changed. Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? So perplexing. It's perplexing. We're confused. We're overwhelmed. There's all this stuff going on. The enemy's trying to, trying to rattle us. Well, how do we get perplexed? I'm going to be really practical here. You know, the enemy, the devil, Satan, I believe there is Satan. I believe there is a devil. There is an enemy. The scripture says he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He hates us. And he hates God's creation. He hates that we're made in God's image. So he's always looking to steal, kill, and destroy from you. But what he isn't is a creator. Satan can't create anything. God created everything and called it good, and that was the end of it. But what the enemy can do is distort yeah. and ruin, and the word would be pervert, what God created. Right. 
And so here we are put on this earth as overcomers. We're made in the image of God, but the enemy can get us to live our life in such a perverted way that we don't live the way that God's called us to. And if we live in a perverted way, not a way that God made us to, uh, we we live off the way God called it. Am I making sense right there? One of the ways the enemy is going to try to do that He's going to say, I know all these people, God's creation, have great purpose. I know they have great destiny. They have great potential. I know that they, uh, they can be the light of the world and God can use them. I know that they can do all that. But if I can overwhelm them, yeah. if I can crash them, if I can bury them in wonder and confusion and be getting perplexed, and then they're stuck and they're stagnant and they're paralyzed, if I can get them to do that, they won't accomplish what God's called them to do. Are you with me? Yeah. So what is the enemy doing in this last hour? He's bombarding you. He's overwhelming you. He's attacking you with information and overload. We live in such a high information age that so much is coming at you. You literally can't mentally process all the things that are thrown at you in a day. Do you know that when you hack a computer, hopefully we've got some, some, some non-computer hackers. Hopefully you guys are all on the up and up. But if you were a computer hacker, you would know that computer hacking works like this to crash a system You have to overload it to compromise the system. Track with what I'm saying for the enemy to crash your system or compromise your system. What he needs to do, just like a computer, is he needs to overload your system to crash a computer. You need to hack it, flood it with request, overload it. Or this is another statement is to expose it to too much data. Expose it to too much data. Do you know that you aren't designed? I'm I'm being real practical here. Then we'll look back at scripture. You were not designed to intake all of the ads and information and notifications that you do in a single day. That's not God's design for you to have ads on top of ads on top of ads. We were at a restaurant (coughs) the other day and we're sitting at the restaurant. I'm going to be 40 in March. And I remember back in the day when music first came into restaurants they say, oh, you want to go to the restaurant? People say, oh, I don't want to go to that restaurant. It's so loud. They play music. Just blast that music while you're trying to eat. Have you ever gone to a restaurant that doesn't have music in it anymore? You're like, this is weird. This is creepy. But I was at a restaurant, and they had all the TVs playing, multiple TV shows on one screen. They had the music blasting in the thing. And so they got TVs, music. Then we're sitting at the table, and they had the little game station thing that you could play all at the thing. Meanwhile, you're sitting there, and you have the menu. And the menu, on the menu, they're trying to get you to sign up for their pasta club, this club, text in this, do that, scan this QR code. So much information being thrown at us while we're just trying to sit down and have a meal. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Now when you watch TV and a commercial comes on, not only are they trying to sell you the product, they're also trying to get you to go to the website and like them on Facebook and scan the QR code to get your 10% off your first order all in one promotional. We're bombarded with thousands of messages a day that we weren't created to intake. And what happens is it causes us to be in such a brain fog and an overwhelm in a perplexed situation. This is an attack of the enemy in the last days. Am I making sense today? He's trying to clog us up with these notifications and keeping up with the Kardashians and all the things that we're meant to do. Paul told Timothy this. He said this in 2 Timothy 3, 7. He said that there will be a generation, there will be an hour that says this in verse 7, that's always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of truth. We have so much information always coming to us, coming to us, coming to us, coming to us, but we never get to the place of settling it in our hearts as truth. You can know this and get that. And Twitter headline this, we get all of these. Oh, wow, that's, but we don't take the time because we're so overwhelmed that we don't settle on it as a truth. Uh, I thought about it like this. It causes us to be a people who want information But at the end of the day, we reject the truth. 
It's an hour we're living in. There's all this information and we're rejecting truth. Uh, I was talking to somebody who uh, is a counselor, been for a very long time. And uh, actually I was listening to his, uh, did like a live stream and he was talking about the amount of information that goes out. And he was saying, you know, 40 years ago as a counselor, uh, you know, a topic would come up with somebody that you're sitting with and you might say, oh yeah, here's, um, here's a couple really good books that you should read and you, this would be a good resource for you. And he said now, he said like on a, on a yearly basis, dozens of books are written on these topics. We have so much information. Instead of one or two good ones that you would go back to and let settle in your heart as a truth, there would be, there's dozens and dozens, there's so much information, but we're not letting it settle into our lives as truth. So am I making sense today? So it's overwhelming you. You're overwhelmed. It's all this shallow information. I see it all the time when people, pastor, I got to talk to you. Hey, can you tell me about this, this, and this in the Bible? I need to know this, this, and this. I say, okay, why, why do you want to know that information about the Bible? Why do you want to know that? Oh, because I got this person and I want to get them and I want to be right and I want to do Okay, so you want that information about the Bible so that you can get somebody instead of letting it become truth and letting it change you. And, and, and if, we're, if we're not careful, even as Christians, we can be so consumed with information and the next Bible nugget and the next thing, we, instead of letting it transform us into Christ the way we're called to. Are you with me? So it's a good warning. Harvard did a study, and this is weird, but I, I, it fascinated me. So hopefully it connects with some of you. Harvard did a study of the most requotable statements, whether it be taught in schools or colleges or people put them in papers or thesis, all these different things. They looked at the average age range of these sort of famous quotes or historic quotes, and they saw that the average of the most reused quotes are averaging 200 years old and older. Meaning, like, at some point in life, there was people who took information and they let it marinate and they let it settle and they let it become truth. And then they could speak out with deep wisdom. My worry is the Twitter world that we live in these days, we're getting all this information, all these quick little things, but we're not letting stuff settle to where we're regurgitating. We're, we're, we're spitting back out truth. Yeah. Am I making any sense today? Yeah. Why is that? I'm going to be real practical. Then we'll get to scripture. Why, why is this? It's because we're, we're so overwhelmed. We're getting all of these things thrown at us, and our brain is going this way and this way and this way. Uh, I just found out in my study that the word multitasking, this is why we're overwhelmed and perplexed and confused, and this is why we're burnt out, and this is how the enemy in the last day is going to weary up the saints. He's going to wear us all out because we have so much stuff going at us. The word multitasking is actually not even a human function. The word multitasking wasn't in the Webster Dictionary until 1968. The only reason it made it into the Webster Dictionary is because IBM created it as a term to explain how computers function. Multitasking is a technical term. It's a technology term. It has nothing to do with the way that our mind should be working and should be operating. What happens when we multitask or we have too many things going on and too much stuff flooding us is our brain shifts from one side of the brain to the other side of the brain. It shifts from this to this and it shifts again and it shifts again. And then by the end of the night, you're like, I'm exhausted. And you're like, I need a melatonin to go to bed. Don't raise your hand. Because you've had so much information, information, your brain has shifted to multitasking, 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 and it's gone this way, this way, this way, this way, and then you can't sleep at night, you need a pill. That's her. She's just too much. She's like, see, this is my limit. She can do whatever she wants. She's the best. Um, so, so you're shifting, you're multitasking, you got all this. Check this out. This is the study that just recently came out last year. 63%, again, let me give you some data, and then we'll get you some scripture. 
63% of Americans sleep less than seven hours a night, which categorically means if you sleep less than seven hours, you're sleep deprived, which actually means your body in a sleep deprivation state recognizes a lack of sleep as trauma and being in an emergency mode. We're trying to live a life clear where we can hear from God and do his will and be used by him. But your body every day is waking up and saying, hey, we're in trauma. We're in emergency mode. And we know what I'm talking about today. 63% of Americans. The problem is the attack of the enemy, the way he's going to wear us out. Things are always changing. Laws are always changing. Things are always moving. We're getting all this information. 63% of us aren't getting enough sleep. Therefore, we've allowed ourselves to be on the rhythm of a machine and not on the rhythm of how God created us. I mentioned just a minute ago. God created, called it good. The enemy's going to work really hard to pervert or distort the way that we're called to be. One of the ways, let me be a hippie here, one of the ways that God designed you and created you was to find rest. Yeah. Rest in your bed and rest in him. Yeah. And so if 63% of us are waking up in emergency trauma mode, we're saying, oh my gosh, because we're programmed by the, rim- the rhythms of machines. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, this is what it means. It means you get restless at night And you say, oh, I can't fall asleep. So you start checking an email. You start wondering if someone followed up yet. You start looking into this. You start jumping on that. Oh, maybe I should research this. Maybe I should get started on this. And then you start start losing your life. And now you're anxious and you're perplexed and now you can't fall asleep. Or morning, the sun started to come up a little bit. And instead of just staying restful and staying, you know what I better do? I better get up and I better start checking my email. I better see if I got notifications and your phone's going off. And you got that meeting. And then your one app tells you that you need to eat this this morning. Your next app tells you you need to... I mean, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, I better work out because I said I was going to do it this time. And I better go on a run. I better go do a thing. And you got all of these notifications, all these rhythms of mechanics. I've noticed it in our kids. Our kids are playing video games. I'm not anti-video games. They can play video games. But what I am anti is that my son, he's getting up too early. He's coming upstairs. Hey, bud, what are you doing? Why are you getting up so early? I just wanted to get up and check the notifications and things in his video games. And what's in the item shop? And did I level this up? And can I do this? And how's my... Right away, this attack of the enemy is coming even on our children of saying, hey, don't, don't find rest in me. Don't find rest yeah. in me. Instead, yeah. get up and be someone who's worn out yeah. by the rhythms of the mechanics. Are you with me today? Yeah. Let me get a scripture in just a minute. The world, our economy, there's books out here on this. There's a book called, I just finished, called um, Stealing Focus, Stolen Focus. Uh, some of this data is in here, Stolen Focus. They can prove in our economics, our economics... Our economy, the way things function, are literally built on Americans' inability to fall asleep on time and get eight hours of sleep. One statistic says that our economy, if every American in the world actually slept eight hours a night, it could impact our economy by almost 20%. Why? Because many of you are laying in bed, bored, can't fall asleep, and you're on Amazon. Two days later, you're like, why did I even buy that? I just couldn't fall asleep, and now we have this. Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, huge portions of the user rate of those are when people can't fall asleep or when they can't stay asleep in the morning. So they just get up and start mindlessly scrolling. It's a huge base of how American operates. Here's what's even more crazy. Boston University did a research on deep sleep. Do you know that when you actually lay down and rest and go to sleep because God designed your temple to be one that rests, when you lay down, your spinal cord opens and flushes your brain with cerebral cerebral spinal fluid. So literally when you get into a deep sleep, uh, you literally then receive a brainwash. 
Look it up, Boston Research. It helps flush toxic memory-impairing proteins from your brain. So what happens is when you go to bed and your body starts to do its thing and bring you some clarity overnight and you abort that and you wake up in the morning, have you ever woke up and said, man, I'm in a brain fog. It's because you went against the nature of how God designed you when it comes to rest. We can't understand why we're perplexed and why we are confused. Am I making anybody, is this good for anybody today? Okay, it's good for me. I'm reminding myself. Some of you nappers are like, see, we got to be sleeping, taking more naps. (laughs) Nudge your wife, you keep waking me up. Psalm 127, one says this, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. Here's what's crazy. In vain, you rise early and check your social media and stay up late on your social media and Amazon. Tolling for food. How many eat a bunch of stupid food? You don't need to at night because you can't go to sleep. That's me. And then it says this, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Literally an act of love from God is he grants us sleep. If it wasn't important, then why would the scripture say that an act of love toward his people is he allows us to find sleep? Because that rejuvenation, that freshening that he has for you, it's because God wants you to wake up not perplexed and not confused and not anxious and not worried. Why? Because he's got a mission for us to fulfill here on earth. Amen? So we must reject this pace of life. I know this is really practical, but it's important. We must reject this pace of intake and multitask and all these things and keeping up. We can't conform to it. That's why Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and perfect pleasing will. One of the ways we can walk in what God's will is, is if our mind is renewed. And you will not walk in a renewed mind if you're confused and perplexed and overwhelmed. Can I get an amen today? David proves this. Um, you got to do a little bit of research on this. But David and Goliath, we know the scene. Uh, David's parents say, or David's dad says, hey, bring some meals down to your brothers. They're down there and uh, they need some food. And so David goes down there. But before he goes down there, the scripture says in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 6, it says, for 40 days, the Philistine, uh, Goliath, came forward every morning and every evening and took his stand. I'll say it like this. For 40 days, Goliath came down and pushed his agenda every morning, every night. Every morning, every night, he consistently pushed his agenda, pushed his agenda, pushed his agenda. The other thing that he did was he told lies. He spoke myths, truths. He would show up every morning, every night, and he would say, who of servant, the servants of Saul is going to battle me? All you servants of Saul. Now, Saul was kind of a, a wimp, kind of a, a back out kind of guy. And, and so he comes in, he's saying, all you servants of Saul, who's going to take me on? Who's going to? Well, they weren't servants of Saul. They were servants of God. And so he's doing this mistruth thing morning and night, morning and night. He's pushing his agenda. He's pushing his agenda. He's re-identifying. Are you with me? Who they were and what they were. Now, David wasn't somebody who was there on a daily basis. So he didn't fall victim to the morning and night media of Goliath. And so his dad says, hey, go down there. And so David goes down there and all of a sudden he goes, because he didn't have the brainwashing of this thing. He gets down there and goes, who's this guy? And how dare he defile the armies of the Lord? You remember he said that? Why are they calling us? Why is he calling us the servants of Saul? We're the servants of the Most High. Are you with me? This is what he did. Because David was somebody who said, look, I'm not going to fall for I'm a renewed mind. I'm not going to fall for the culture in this agenda. Amen? So he shows up. He knew the power of renewing his mind. Daniel, 
I got 10 more minutes. Daniel uh, is also somebody who said, I have to reject. I have to keep my mind clear. I'm not going to get perplexed and confused and overwhelmed and worn out, as Daniel said. He said, I'm going to be somebody who's cautious of what's put in front of me. Daniel Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, he's in Babylon. Uh, The headline of your Bible might say he was in training. In verse 8, it says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. He, in his mind, his renewed mind, said, I refuse to eat from this table. We need to be a people when they're saying, Keep up with the Kardashians, do this, do that. You got to do this, you must do this. I refuse to eat from this table. I need to have a clear mind, a renewed mind, so I can walk in all that God has for me. Can I get an amen? So what do we do when we don't know what to do? I'm perplexed. I'm confused. I don't understand the situation. I don't know which way to go. I've been bombarded with all these things. I don't have clarity. What should I do with this? Ecclesiastes gives us a really interesting uh, answer here. Ecclesiastes 11.3 says, If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. If a tree falls toward the south or the north in the place where the tree falls, that's where it shall lie. Verse four, he who observes the wind will not sow and he who regards the clouds will not reap. If we're a people who are always checking the wind for it to be perfect, always checking the clouds. If we're just a people who wait for our conditions to be perfect, we'll never walk in what God has for us. I'm confused. I'm perplexed. I don't really know what I should do. So I'm going to keep waiting. No, no, we can't be a people who keep waiting. There is no perfect time. Verse 5, as you do not know the way of the wind or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. We just don't know it. We're never going to understand it all. That's why scripture says his ways are higher than ours. Amen. Amen. And then it says this, verse 6, here's what we do. In the morning, sow your seed. In the evening, do not withhold your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, either this, that, or whether both alike will be good. This is what they're trying to get you to see. You can't wait to figure it all out. I'm perplexed. I'm confused. Lord, I need a sign. Lord, will you show me the open door? Sometimes you don't get all that. Sometimes it's say, look, I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I'm going to sow anyway. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm going to go anyway. I'm going to believe. I'm going to trust God anyway. Amen. Amen. We just moved to Borculo. So it's my family, our dogs, and a whole bunch of farmers everywhere. How many know those farmers, it's not springtime and they go, well, until the Lord gives us a 94-day weather plan, we're not going to sow anything. No, we know what we're called to do. We know what our purpose here is on earth. So we're going to go out there and we're going to plant and we're going to believe the God who's in control of everything will bring the harvest. Can I get an amen? amen? It's the same thing in our life. If because we're perplexed or confused or we haven't figured out and we're going to just wait, we're going to miss all the fruit that God has for us. Amen. In dirt bike racing, they say this when you have uncertainty or, or, or you're not really sure how something's going to turn out. Uh, they tell you this when in doubt, throttle out, just hit the gas harder. That's usually the answer is just get a little more on the gas. Terrible theology, so don't do that. Don't apply it here. But I'll close with this. There's a story where David, uh, many of you know this story, very famous story. David is off in battle, and he comes back with his men, and they get back to his village, and uh, his village has been destroyed. Everything there is stolen, destroyed. Scripture says even uh, his wives, uh, well, that's another story, but his wives, and uh, you got to be the king of Israel to have more than one wife, just to afford it, you know what I'm saying? So he was king of Israel, but... Um, <laughs> And I'm just saying in their times, not in our times. I'm saying that again in the Bible. So, But he comes back and his kids, everybody's stolen. Now he's perplexed. The scripture, the word they use is he was distraught. He was in great despair. He's frustrated. He's confused. He's hurt. Scripture actually says that they wept till they couldn't weep anymore. They were out of weeping. But definitely perplexed. What do we do now? All of this has happened to us. 
Scripture says he didn't go on Facebook and complain about it. He didn't play the victim. How do I get out of this perplexing, frustrating, confusing, discouraging? How do I get out of this season? The scripture says, David strengthened himself in the Lord. Amen. I'm perplexed. I'm confused. I don't know. I can't see it. I don't know the way. Here's what I do. I know I can do. Strength. It's my time to strengthen myself in the Lord. That's good. Government's not going to do it. Yeah. Education's not going to do it. The only way I'm getting through this is if I can strengthen myself in the Lord. David's also known as saying this in Psalm 56, verse 3. When I'm afraid, put whatever word you want in there. When I'm confused, when I'm distraught, when I'm distressed, when I'm hurt, whatever, whenever I'm that, he says I'm going to do what? Put my trust in you. I don't see the way. I don't see the plan. The clouds, the rain, the trees, I, I can't see any of it. But in this place, this perplexed place, my heart feels perplexed. I'm confused. What do I do? I trust in the Lord. Psalm 46, verse 10, many of us know this. It says this, our call is to be still and know he's God. Well, no, I'm going to fix it. So I need to get some more information. I need to learn. I need to work it. And I need to grind. And I need to try to do this. And no, 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 no. When you're confused and perplexed and discouraged and down, what do you be still and know he is God. He's God of it all. He's alpha and omega. He's beginning. He's the end. And he's all of it in the middle. What's your job? Grind more, fix it all, multitask. No, no, no. That's going to wear out the saints. We're going to be still. Then it says this. It says, and I will be exalted among the nations and exalted in the earth. It's not our job to worry, but he's going to be the one who's exalted in all of our situations. There's a missionary, very famous missionary. She just passed away uh, in 2015, uh, but we pick up in her story around 1950. Her name was Elizabeth Elliott, and uh, her dream was to be a missionary, and uh, she wanted to translate the Bible in many other countries and in tribes and in languages. And so uh, she went to, I believe, Wheaton Bible College. And there she met her husband, Jim. And it was his dream to also be a missionary and go work in the mission field and, and minister to many different people. And so their dreams were coming true. Their purposes were being fulfilled. They were walking in the destiny that God had for them. And so they met each other. They got married. Uh, and then the story goes that they moved to Ecuador and they had their first child. Everything's going perfectly. They're on the mission field as they prayed and believed. Uh, they have their first child. They're, they're getting to meet people in that area. And the story goes on that at one point, uh, Jim had decided that it was time to get a plane. He got four other people with him and they were going to fly to a really sort of deserted part of Ecuador and uh, they were going to meet with some indigenous people that they had never met before. And they were going to come with goods and they were going to come with supplies and they were going to come minister and preach and, and show the love of God to them. But unfortunately, when they stepped off the plane, they were speared to death uh, by these people who were in fear. They didn't know uh, what are they here for? What are they going to do? And so here's Elizabeth at this time saying, God, what are you doing? Perplexed. We went to college. We fell in love. You gave us a child. We're on the mission field that you sent us to. How in the world could this happen? What in the world is going on here? She, she tells a great story about what her next step was. What could you possibly do without your husband? You have this little child. You're in this place that there's some resistance there. And she saw either a poem or she uh, saw a song. And in it, it said, what you're called to do is simply just do the next right thing. Yeah. 
I know we all think that Elsa came up with that a couple years ago, but it goes all the way back to the 50s and even before that. She said, I'm confused. I'm perplexed. I don't know what to do here. God, what should I do? What she should do is just do the next right thing. Many of us are like, God, show me the whole plan. What's the whole picture? God, I need, I'm perplexed. I need to know the whole thing. And God's like, just do the next right thing I put in front of you. Take the next right step. Trust me, as David said, I'll trust you in this. So she did. She took the next right step. Story goes on to say that she began to meet some of the women of the village and she started to make a connection and grow her influence. Story goes on even crazier to say that she eventually had the opportunity to go to that same place and meet the man who actually killed her husband. She extended forgiveness to him. He gave his heart to the Lord and so did the rest of the village. Come on, give it up to God for that. Because she did what? She, she tried, I'm perplexed. I don't know what I should do. But she did the next right thing. She went on to write 24 books after this. She's known and taught and preached in many Bible college everywhere. Uh, she's known for her faith and her story and her legacy um, because what? She just did the next right thing. Second Corinthians 4, 8, my closing verse is this. In verse 8, we are pressed on every side. We're living in an hour where we are pressed on every single side, but not crushed. Perplexed, for sure, but not in despair. Persecuted, are you persecuted? Absolutely, but not abandoned. Are you struck down? Oh, we get struck down. But we are not destroyed. God's with us in all this. Pressed on every side, perplexed. All of these things are a part of it, yes, but we're not destroyed. Because we are in the shadows of the Almighty, the Alpha and the Omega. He's God at the beginning, the end, the middle, and he's with us. Can I get an amen? I didn't put this in the notes, or maybe I did earlier in the week and cut it, but we have to remember this verse. The scripture says that God is not the author of confusion, but he's the God of peace. So anytime that perplexing, that, oh, that wondering, this, oh, God, I don't know. I feel confused, perplexed, and I'm overwhelmed. You got got to say, well, hold on. Confusion is perplexed. This doesn't come from God. And we do like David. We strengthen ourselves in the peace of God. Amen? I'm out of time. It's noon. And I'm burning my, my rump roast in the crock pot. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> Let me pray for you. Let me pray for you. And then, uh, and then we can dismiss you. God, we love you so much. We're so grateful for how you love us and lead us. Lord, I thank you that though we may feel crushed, perplexed, Lord, sometimes in despair, confused, anxious, God, I thank you that you are the God of peace. Lord, I thank you that we can strengthen ourselves in you. Lord, I pray that you help us do that this week that we be a people as though things are changing rapidly and laws and all this stuff changes. God, let us be a people who can be still and know that you are God. I thank you for it in Jesus name. Amen.